Hey, you busy fundraiser. Yeah, you. Listen, I know you're busy planning an event and you shouldn't have to worry about what software you're using for events and online giving and peer-to-peer fundraising and auctions and mobile bidding and text to give. It's all at one cause. OneCause.com. Listen, I've been using OneCause for a long time with clients all over. It's designed for busy fundraisers. It's intuitive. It's a powerful fundraising solution for your next event, and you should be using it. Go to OneCause.com. They're a sponsor of the show. They're amazing. They're awesome. And there's free resources galore at OneCause.com. Check them out today. Hey, did you just have a meeting with a donor and they told you something really, really important and you have no place to put it except for like maybe an Excel spreadsheet or, I don't know, a random piece of paper in your office? Go to DonorDoc.com. Get a CRM system that works. Get a donor database system that works. Get something that gives you beautiful reports and beautiful dashboards that even your crankiest board member will love. Go to DonorDoc.com. Use the code word do good better at checkout and get a month free. DonorDoc.com. Choosing a partner to help you achieve success in your business or personal finances is a big decision. You need a devoted advisor who's experienced and attentive and invested in helping you accomplish your goals. Hey, you know what that sounds like? Brady Martz. Brady Martz knows that you got a lot of options to choose from, but we're confident that Brady Martz is the right accounting firm for you. they got more than a half a century of experience making everyday count through tax, accounting, audit, and business advisory services. So... Contact Brady Marts to learn more about their unique solutions that they can provide you and your nonprofit. Your organization is awesome, but sometimes you want to be even awesomer. It's time to get your fundraising on with your host, fundraising expert and author, Patrick Kirby. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kirby. And of course, we talk with people who are going to help our small and medium-sized nonprofits do good better. I was a politics major out of college, um, which meant I was unemployed because I didn't know how to do anything at all. Um, And I found myself um, falling backwards into the nonprofit world. And I have been obsessed with advocacy and politics behind the scenes forever. And so when I get to have a guest on that gets to talk nerdy politics and advocacy stuff with me, I jump at it. And you might be thinking, I'm a small nonprofit. I don't have anything to do with politics and advocacy, and I don't even have the capacity to do so. Nay, folks. Nay, buckle up because we're going to talk about it today and how you can actually make bigger change doing the awesome things that you're doing and talking about how much you need support and help and where do you go and what do you do? Answering all these questions for my guest today, Jeb Ori. Uh, he is the uh, co-founder and products uh, kind of uh, head of products over at uh, Capital Canary. Jeb, welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. Thanks, Patrick. It's really wonderful to be here. I'm excited uh, for this. Again, I don't get the chance to talk advocacy and policy a lot on the old uh, podcast. And so I will, um, I'm going to embrace this moment for a little bit. But before we get started, there's probably folks who are looking at this uh, either on iTunes or they found us on Spotify or they're looking at YouTube and they're saying, this sounds like an interesting bit, but I'm not really sure who this guy is or what he works for. So before we get started, can you give us kind of a 5,000 foot view on who you are, what you do and why we're talking today? Sure, sure thing. Uh, and it's funny, you're, you're a politics major. I studied international relations in college. Uh, I had a chance to intern in the Senate. Um, they didn't pay interns back then. So I had a night job uh, waiting tables at a uh, local Irish pub, um, which I learned so much from. 
Uh, and then I got to work for a uh, international NGO. Um, and those experiences were absolutely foundational for kind of setting me on a path. So um, can't say enough about uh, about where the political oriented degrees can take you. Love it. Um, so anyway, uh, kind of fast forward, um, uh, about 10 years ago, I started a company called Phone to Action, which became Capital Canary. We rebranded a little bit earlier this year um, because of an idea my co-founder had. Uh, so my co-founder was a woman, is a woman uh, named Jimena Hartsock. Um, she's Chilean. Um, she has a, a really thick accent. She came to the country uh, when she was in her early 20s and kind of had a whole bunch of different jobs uh, and worked her way up and, and, and created a career in education. And she ended up working for Michelle Ree, who was uh, one of the founders, of, or was the chancellor of DC Public Schools, and went on after Sin City government to start an education advocacy group. And Amina's job was to get p- parents and teachers together in a room and talking about education policy. And she would spend a lot of time and energy getting everyone in a room and they'd have big speakers come in and they'd fire the crowd up. And then there was this moment at the end where people were like, well, what can we do? We want to do something right now. And it was just crickets. You know, sometimes speakers say, oh, well, you can follow me on Twitter. This is again, 2011, 2012, early days of, of social media. Um, uh, or maybe mid to early days of social media, uh, nobody, you know, that didn't really move policy, didn't move the dial. So people started saying, well, you know, you're talking a lot about changing policy. Can we contact lawmakers? And they said, oh yeah, go home tomorrow, Google, find out who your state senator is and give her a call. And these parents are like, we're not going to do that. We, we have work and kids and jobs and, you know, we need to, we want to act right now. So Jimena felt this compulsion to create an opportunity for people to act right then and there so they could take action. But there weren't tools that, that did that. There were a few systems where people could like log in and maybe send an email on a computer to a lawmaker, but nothing that worked in the smartphone. And you may remember, you know, maybe some of the, the, the people here on this podcast remember back in 2012, only about 25% of American adults had smartphones. Mm-hmm. So now it's hard to find anybody, you know, 10 year old and up that doesn't have some kind of you know, mobile smart device. But back then it wasn't a foregone conclusion. But Jimena had worked in schools and had seen how, you know, the, 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 there are people that were like early adopters that were like, you know, taking phones in and out. And like, she's like, you know, not, not the students, but, you know, people that worked in the schools, the staff. She's like, this is going to go everywhere. Jeb and I, so so she, we met each other, and I, I had another mobile company at the time. She's like, Jeb, is there any way that we can make an app so people can email the lawmakers using GPS on their phones? I said, huh, sounds interesting. Um, and uh, started to look into that, and um, we ended up finding out the answer is yes, yes, you can. Uh, you actually can use mobile technology to make it possible for people to do just about anything. And, and uh, we created a product that made it easy for people to email lawmakers from their phones in seconds. And we had a chance to roll it out at, you know, these, these uh, organizations would have these events and they'd get people in a room and everyone had a chance to take action. So we gave power to people that wanted to engage 
And then we gave these organizations a way to like track it and to know, hey, that was effective, that worked, that moved the dial. And that's really kind of what started our business. So we found the company in 2012. Um, every bootstrap startup story you can think of, we were we were doing. Um, and uh, we, but we found some investors, and it was it was hard to raise investment capital. What we were doing was really new, but we we found some people that supported us, uh, an accelerator, early investors. We went to competitions where we had to win. Like we did all the things to to put yourself on a map. And the reality is for a lot of small nonprofits, it's very similar to like, to like startup. You got to be scrappy. You got to be innovative. You have to figure out how to break through the noise and stand out. So I think part of what our growth and our story has been is pretty similar to what uh, successful um, small organizations are doing every single day. It's, you know, you, you have to have conviction that what you're doing makes sense and you have to work like heck to make it happen. What I love about this is that, and we talk about this on the podcast a lot, is planning the plan. The plan is just another plan that you're going to plan eventually. And it's boring unless you do something about it, right? What are you going to actually do? And what I love about this is the concept of, okay, we're all fired up. You're at a gala. You hear a story. You get this wonderful thing. What the hell do I do next? If you're not saying give or you're not saying you know, sort of do, You've wasted an opportunity. And I think this is what I love about the idea of advocacy is that if somebody doesn't have the financial capacity to give you a certain amount of money, they've got time and they've got talent and they've got words and they've got a vote and they've got a whole lot of other things that they can use for your organization. But I think a lot of nonprofits will look at this or hear the word advocacy and they will immediately go, Ugh, I don't want to touch that with a 10 foot pole if they don't know about it or don't know what to do. How do we get out of that mind space first? I mean, that, I think that's the first question of like, I'm not, I'm a nonprofit leader or I'm a, a person who's volunteered at a nonprofit. I'm a board member. Advocacy doesn't seem like something I should be doing at all. Am I wrong or am I right as a nonprofit? Yeah. It, so I think what, what's interesting is that the term advocacy means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the, the best definition I saw of advocacy is this very expansive definition that includes everything from voter education to issue education to direct lobbying. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff in between. Uh, in in the, the field, when we say advocacy, sometimes we mean digital grassroots advocacy, right. which may mean facilitating uh, constituent education and, and communication to elected officials by those constituents so they can explain their positions on policies and implore lawmakers to take action on something. Mm-hmm. But the actual term advocacy is a, is a very broad one and it encompasses a whole bunch of things. And a, a nonprofit that, you know, like a good example, like, you know, the, the church that, that, that I'm a member of is a is an Episcopalian church here in Capitol Hill. And um, there may be three to 400 congregants, you know, uh, but the church has a yoga studio and the church rents out the, the nave for music concerts. So there's all these great concerts that come through. And there are organizations that will use the space for free for different types of advocacy work, um, things around climate and, 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 and gun control and stuff like that. 
So the church is just a church, right? It's it's a 501c3 nonprofit, like the vast majority of what we call nonprofits, 501c3s. But it does all these different activities and different people use it for you know, different purposes, the same way churches and synagogues and mosques are used throughout the country. Um, and the church has an outreach arm that does different types of you know, uh, education and work in the, in, in the field and you know, feeding programs and things like that. So the church could be could could be a group that uses that you know that does advocacy. There's also a you know a, a group of the Washington Interfaith Network that the church is a part of that are like faith leaders from across all the major religions that work on you know collective issues together. So I think advocacy has such an expansive definition, and I think that's what can be really maybe nervy about it. If you're a if you're a, a nonprofit service provider. And, you know, you, 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 you're worried about, well, I don't want to lobby people, but giving education or maybe like giving people the chance to register to vote, that actually is also advocacy. It's just not lobbying. And there can be really big differences. So I think that most organizations that are listening that may be nervous, you probably are doing something that could be constituted as advocacy, but it's not tripping your wires because it's so far away from maybe what, you know, people might have to register to do that, you know, it's not a concern. It's storytelling. It's, uh, it's sharing your passion for whatever your organization does. That's advocacy, folks. I mean, that's what it is. How you're sitting in a room, you're telling me that you're standing on stage and you're a, uh, a food scarcity organization, you're a food bank, and you've got a list of people who are in the room and you're sharing the story about families who are struggling because of the high inflation rate and they, they don't know where they're going to find their next meal. You're a supplemental uh, group to this. And then you're sharing the impact of what their gifts have done. I think you're not advocating for more gifts and more uh, support throughout there, or you're not, or you're going up uh, to a, to a group of lions club, for example, right. And they invite you to tell your story about what you do and you are enthusiastic and you're passionate about it, or you recruit other volunteers to tell that story on your behalf. You're an advocate. Sorry, you're now a change maker and you're a community organizer by any stretch of the imagination. And I love what you said about this. There's so many different ways to think about it. And I think our connotation is immediately, oh boy, I got to start waving a flag and I got to start marching and I got to start doing these things. And I don't want that tethered or attached to my, you know, how my organization uh, looks and feels, but you're already doing it. It's just a matter of how you want to sort of get it. So maybe kind of run through some, um, some advantageous, you know, why is it advantageous to at least concentrate or focus or talk about or sort of rewire your brain about what advocacy can do? Absolutely. So maybe a little bit of context too. So uh, our company is a software company. And we have 1,200 customers. And I would say probably eight or 900 of them use our technology for digital grassroots advocacy and organizing. So we come to this with a fair amount of experience in seeing how organizations are, are engaging. And what's been really interesting over the years is that the types of organizations with whom we work has really expanded. And I think that's kind of underscoring some of what, what you're talking about too, is people are thinking about getting involved. Uh, we do have a number of food banks that we work with. Um, and we, we have organizations that may, you know, have a couple people that, 
you know, there's, there's, there's a person that spends a couple hours a week doing communications work. They may send emails out of MailChimp. They may create some, some advocacy campaigns out of our software um, when they need to, to, to be able to mobilize people. But I think that the, the, the crux of what we see is that when an organization, um, you know, to, to your point before, like they may not have a, a large set of people that are going to donate a whole lot of money. That may be your situation. That's pretty common. But people can donate time. Yep. They can donate their 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 their, their support. Um, they can certainly engage with the content that you're sharing online. So what we've seen, some of the most successful organizations, the small but mighty ones that are able to make policy change, are able to enlist their board members and enlist their 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 databases, even if it's just a couple hundred people to all do the same thing at the same time to make some waves. Yeah. And if they all can, can, can take something and do something at the same time and, and flat, you know, light up social media and maybe light up a lawmaker's inbox at the exact same time with a message that comes from the heart that speaks to their values, they can actually make change. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just having your board, you know, the average nonprofit may have four or five people on the board. Uh, maybe they don't donate, maybe they don't, but they all can share a message on Facebook, you know, and when you tweet something out, they can all retweet it. Yeah. So I think that the, 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 there's a super uh, high impact amount of low hanging fruit that amplifies the message. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that we also recommend is that um, if you can, uh, if you, if you text message, one thing you can do is whenever you have key messages you want to get out, make sure that your board is subscribed because there's not a better way to demonstrate the type of work that you're doing than to make sure your board is actually hearing those communications. And we found that texting cuts through the noise that that email and other forms of communication just can't do. So we have one client, one association client that... Um, that always make sure that every board member gets a text when they send out an alert about something urgent. And that has brought so much visibility to the program because, you know, all the executives are getting their texts. All the board members are getting the texts and those, Hey, we're, we're active. We're engaged. That makes them feel really good about the, the, the work that the organization's doing. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what the numbers are in each individual state. Um, on the, the the average of letters or notes that a representative or a senator gets about certain votes, right? But I do have a, a story locally yeah. in North in North Dakota where a law where a lawmaker said, if I'm not getting emails and they're not over like 20 emails about the same thing, I'm not paying attention to it. Now the minute that email list goes above 20 or 25 or 30 emails about the same topic, they stop and they pay attention. And and so if you don't think it works, I'm listening to people on in the Capitol saying the exact same thing you're saying is that they drop everything when, when stuff gets a little wild and it breaks through the noise. Because if you have one, a smattering of an email here, maybe an email two weeks later, Maybe another email a week later about a topic or a, or a payment system. You know, part of the the thing that we're talking about right now is in inflationary pay for you know providers for individuals with developmental disability and delay. Right? North Dakota gave them a two and a half percent increase 
last year and a quarter of a percent of increase this year. Well, I'm not sure if that's keeping up with inflation there, kiddos, but that's okay, right? They're not going to listen to one or two executives from the same you know, provider groups that are going to do it over and over again. They expect it. That's part of their gig. You get 15, 20, 90, 150 emails about the same thing from the same committee that's trying to figure out some of this. All of a sudden, your eyes pop out of your like, what the heck is going on in the community that I'm not paying attention to? And you snap on them out of their malaise and they're now, you know, sort of at least at least considering something, right? Yeah, well, there's actually, they're, they're, for, so from that standpoint, we're talking about breaking through the noise with state legislators. Yeah. There, there, are two, there are a couple paths uh, from, from sending emails. Yeah, it's either you know, 20 or more or something, or it's one with a, with a compelling subject line. Mm. So many state lawmakers have access to their email on their phones. Mm-hmm. And it's a separate inbox. But I mean, most state legislatures are part-time. There are a few like California and, and, and a few others that are full-time. Some bicameral ones are, you know, are biannual ones are like every other year, right? Like Texas yep. um, uh, and a few others. Is North Dakota like that? Or? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's not their full-time job. That's that's kind of the, the, the reality. Um, so they'll check their inbox. And there's a compelling subject line. They'll they'll read that message, and if they get a whole bunch of the same, they'll they'll read the one of those messages, and they'll know okay, this is about this issue, and they they keep a track, they keep tally. So I do think that you're right. Like there there are a couple of different ways to break through, and uh, we think there's a there, there's a quality and a quantity um, tactic that you can deploy depending on the size of your database. So. The message is if you if you're engaged in grassroots advocacy and you're a, and you're an organization that has a small list, focus on message and storytelling personalization. Mm. And if you have a larger list, that's where the personalization helps. Personalization at scale can really help, but volume can also be effective uh, in terms of how Patrick just talked about. So I'll share a story. So. One of our clients uh, is a larger nonprofit, the American Heart Association. And when we first started working with them, there was a campaign they were working on in New York, and it, it was about CPR. Mm. And they, one of their key policy pillars was training uh, people, so making sure that high school students could learn how to give CPR. And in the past, before they, they, they did this campaign, they had talked about the high numbers of people that die from sudden cardiac arrest. Lots of people die, big numbers, should be really scary. But it didn't really stick with people. So they changed their campaign and they found five parents who had lost children, middle school, high school kids to a heart attack or other other kinds of cardiac arrest. And they had those parents share their stories and use that story to urge people to act and tell their lawmakers about how important that was. And the stories that the, and each, each individual, like you could, you could call a number, you could hear them share their story and say, okay, now we're going to patch you through the lawmakers so you can tell them yourself why this is important. So hearing, you know, 30 seconds of somebody's story was incredibly powerful. And it mobilized a record number of people to share their own stories with lawmakers 
and it ended up becoming law. So graduating seniors would have had a, you know, a, a course on how to give CPR. And it was connecting the need, hey, people don't know how to do this, this can save lives, with the stories of people who had had those tragedies happen that made a big difference. When you just deal in the big numbers, people kind of gloss over. But once you start telling about the story and make it about the person, mm -hmm. that makes a huge difference. So we've seen that the organizations that can focus their advocacy around a story or stories of people that are impacted, they make a much bigger difference. They end up getting uh, the media to cover it much more often than if they're just talking about the big numbers of people that, you know, that, that uh, are affected by something. It, that's that's so true too and i think a lot of people get frustrated with like hey why isn't anybody paying attention to us we've got this event coming up or we've got this thing that we're talking about we're like this uh, program that we're running nobody cares i mean that in the nicest possible way nobody cares the media doesn't care if it's about a person or a family that's directly affected positively or negatively by something that's where the attention goes right so i love what you're saying about that it's, it's what we talk about from the nonprofit uh, all the time is you know, personalize a lot of this stuff. You know, if you're not, if you're up on stage and you're just talking about, hey, look at what we do. Hey, look at all the things that we're doing. Uh, we're doing great work here. You're not making an impact. You bring somebody up who says, the things that this organization has done for us, they solved this, they did this. I'm a witness to whatever they're doing. The whole audience is like compelled to listen to you now. Because it's intriguing. Like, wow, this person is not getting paid by the organization. They might have benefits by it, but they're not getting paid by this organization. That's that's a third-party endorsement, my friend. And that's really, really good. It's why we trust random people on the internet to give us the Amazon reviews. This is the weird thing that we live in, but that's what it is. And so you're using this proven advocacy strategy. You're putting personalization that's, uh, so that needs to happen uh, immediately. And now you're making some big some big interesting changes in the world. What sort of changes or what sort of policy uh, tweaks have you seen from individuals using your app, using your system, using some of those things? Is there like, like what sort of thing or what sort of sands are, are beginning to shift as you're working on some of these projects? Well, there's there, there stuff large and small and, and impacting single you know, individuals and impacting you know, entire communities. Mm -hmm. um, one of our partners is the Innocence Project. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have been involved in a number of high-profile cases in Texas. Rodney Reed and Melissa Lucio, um, uh, both pe uh, you know, people that were on death row, that they mobilized their network uh, of people both, you know, throughout the country and in Texas to communicate to various stakeholders in Texas, from the governor's office to state lawmakers to like the board of parole and, and things like that. And what I've noticed with some of their campaigns is the extremely high engagement they get from people, um, the, the urgency, a lot of the, you know, the, the campaigns hit, uh, hit a peak right before, you know, people's uh, designated um, execution date, which that is as final as you can get. And what we tend to see 
making difference for campaigns and most effective campaigns are tied to urgency mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and, and existential, you know, uh, pain. And there is nothing more so than, than an execution, right? Like, so um, those campaigns drive a ton of engagement and they give people a really important way to speak out about, you know, a system that, that, that many find inequitable and unfair. Um, so that's one, that's one example. Uh, we have, we had a number of clients um, that got very engaged around, uh, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic and in advocating for different types of relief and support um, for their organizations, fields, professions, uh, or industries. And those also saw tremendous engagement because, you know, as you know, it was like in the, in the, the first couple months of the pandemic, we had no idea. Well, you know, first we thought it was going to be two weeks. And then but what, one of our clients is, uh, is, is the uh, Association of American Nurses, the American Nurses Association. And it may be hard to believe now, but um, two and a half years ago, nobody, or almost I don't see nobody, the average person did not know what PPE meant, mm-hmm. personal protective equipment. So I remember seeing a, uh, you know, a landing page that the American nurses were putting out um, about asking Congress to approve authorization for more PPE funding and be like, huh, PPE, what is that? And I remember Googling it. And now it's in all of our lexicons and we know exactly what it is. But what we saw in that moment was so many people engaging. So, you know, this organization may have had 50,000, 60,000 members, uh, that many people on their, um, on their database. Uh, but um, what happened was that, you know, another 100,000 engaged. So these are people that may you know, know nurses, have nurses in their families, um, just be, you know, you see something on social media. Yeah. Um, I, I, I love that as, a, as, a, as an example, too, is because it, I love what you said about the sense of urgency. Yeah. I think a lot of nonprofits are passive enough or they think that um, they don't want to be like the, the boy who cried wolf kind of thing. If it's not a thing. No, no, no. That's not what we're saying. But if there's an end game, if there's a timeline, if there's a time frame, people are very motivated to help if they know that some sort of thing is going yeah. to occur. And to quickly be able to communicate that and not get lost in a spam folder, I think is a, is a, is an increasingly beneficial sort of thing. Okay, so I'm a nonprofit. I think some of this sounds good to me, but I don't know where to start. Like, how do I maybe get a hold of somebody who knows what the heck they're doing as it pertains to using particular products that might help me with my advocacy or starting product? Is there some place I could go, Jeb? <laughs> You could, yeah. So, so our, our, you could, you could go to our website and learn more at capitalcanary.com, um, uh, or you can Google around for for grassroots advocacy and and, and find different solutions. Uh, there, there's an organization uh, that I would I would call small but mighty um, called Secus. This is Sex Ed for Social Change. Uh, they are a recent partner of ours, and they're an example of a small nonprofit that has a clear vision for what they can do and the type of impact they can make. 
And they are looking at different ways they can engage their stakeholders. And part of what they see from grassroots advocacy is a way to demonstrate to their advocates that they are focused on policies that are important at the state level to the you know to, to their constituencies. Mm-hmm. And they're actively engaging on them. And that is such an important step to take because it shows clearly to you know the organization and all the, the people that, that care about the organization that you're looking at different things you can do. It's not just programmatic. You're actually you know, giving tools to your supporters and asking them to do something besides just give money. Mm. Everybody wants to be able to raise more money, but maybe you know, some of the, 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 the people that you have that care about your organization aren't in a position to be able to do that. So uh, I look at organizations like, uh, like CICAS, like Sex Ed for Social Change, And I see a real forward-thinking approach to generating support and uh, and, and galvanizing the public around issues that really matter to them. And I think that that type of model is really scalable for um, nonprofits that are looking at different ways they can grow, because it also gives you something that you can do and then read out to your your supporters, here are some actions we've concretely taken to make a difference. I love this because it's an alternative to asking for money yep. and it's a way to communicate with your supporters that they can get involved without sort of opening up their checkbook, which is number one, great. It gives you a chance to give them updates. It gives you a chance to, to show the support for them, for their ability to tell your own story. And what it does is it sets the table for these individuals who are advocates for you. That's a real strong indicator that somewhere down the road, they're going to be a big financial supporter of you as well. It's probably a better indicator than any sort of thing you're running through a computer system of like, what's their wealth screening going to be? It doesn't matter if they don't care about what you do. Finding somebody who's going to be a leader in your advocacy for whatever you're trying to accomplish, that's going to be your better indicator to raise a whole heck of a lot more money later on down the line, which I really, 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 really dig. I love the examples. It's been a, it's been a really interesting sort of vibe. And I like the fact that this is really doable. For small and medium-sized nonprofits, this is not a thing that you have to shy away from, that, that you were doing advocacy already, but you should probably go and click on the show notes when you're done with this episode, everybody, and get a hold of Jeb and the rest of the crew over at uh, Capital Canary, because I think this is a, there's a way that you can probably figure out how to use you know, something that they're doing for your benefit as well. And by, by the way, if you're not subscribed to the show and you're clicking on the internet, you should do that first, and then immediately go back to the show notes and click on Capital Canary and get a hold of Jeb. Uh, thank you so much for what you do. I think this is a really, it's a fascinating um, way in order to use your, um, to uh, galvanize your volunteers, to uh, open up the supporter base to doing something other than just showing up for another, you know, fundraising thing. Um, and I think beneficial for a lot of social groups that are trying to make a difference, make something better in this world. I love this. This is super cool. Uh so appreciate your perspective. I super appreciate your passion. But most of all, thank you so much for being a guest here on the official Do Good Better podcast. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. It's uh, wonderful to have a chance to have this conversation and I uh, look forward to uh, listening to the next one. Love it, my friend. All right. Look, as someone who listens to the show, you know that I love helping small and medium-sized nonprofits. That's why we bring on the awesome experts and guests I get to talk to you about how to make your organization more awesome. 
So I've got a deal for you. I would like to help you. I would like to work with you. So if you go to dogooduniversity.com, that's dogooduniversity.com, and you register for one of the courses, I'm going to send you my best-selling book, Fundraise Awesome, or A Practical Guide to Staying Sane While Doing Good for Free, because I really want you to do amazing work. Listen, dogooduniversity.com. Go pick out something, whether it's a board training or a gratitude training or whatever webinar you want to choose. Um, Use the promo code podcast. Take 25% off of anything that you purchase. And I'm going to throw in a book as well because I want you to do awesome. I want you to do awesomer. And I want you to do good better. Go to dogooduniversity.com today. Hey, did you just have a meeting with a donor and they told you something really, really important and you have no place to put it except for like maybe an Excel spreadsheet or I don't know, a random piece of paper in your office? Go to donordoc.com. Get a CRM system that works. Get a donor database system that works. Get something that gives you beautiful reports and beautiful dashboards that even your crankiest board member will love. Go to donordoc.com. Use the code word do good better at checkout and get a month free. Donordoc.com. Hey, you busy fundraiser. Yeah, you. Listen, I know you're busy planning an event and you shouldn't have to worry about what software you're using for events and online giving and peer-to-peer fundraising and auctions and mobile bidding and text to give. It's all at OneCause, OneCause.com. Listen, I've been using OneCause for a long time with clients all over. It's designed for busy fundraisers. It's intuitive. It's a powerful fundraising solution for your next event and you should be using it. Go to onecause.com. They're a sponsor of the show. They're amazing. They're awesome. And there's free resources galore at onecause.com. Check them out today. Choosing a partner to help you achieve success in your business or personal finances is a big decision. You need a devoted advisor who's experienced and attentive and invested in helping you accomplish your goals. Hey, you know what that sounds like? Brady Martz. Brady Martz knows that you got a lot of options to choose from, but we're confident that Brady Martz is the right accounting firm for you. they got more than a half a century of experience making everyday count through tax, accounting, audit, and business advisory services. So contact Brady Martz to learn more about their unique solutions that they can provide you and your nonprofit.